If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Last week, we dove into the MO of the adversary. He's trying to engage you. He's trying to engage (laughs) with every one of you. He twists the truth. He's going to tempt you. He's going to try to get you to make the wrong choice. And when we take steps towards the darkness, chaos ensues. And he gains and we lose. We lose. Well, in chapter four, we are going to be confronted with two new reoccurring themes in the Bible that I'm going to go over first before we dig into our story, which is a continuation of the path. So the first theme I want to cover is this subtle theme in the Bible of exile and alienation. And I want to talk about why it's important because it is going to play forward into the New Testament and it's going to be something you hear about if you go to church. So exile and alienation is a picture of living in a foreign land that is not home. That's what alienation kind of means. You're living as an alien. This is not where you're supposed to be. And in, in usually, in this case, in Genesis, it's because they made a wrong choice on the path. Uh, They're given a command, they break it, and the consequence is exile. And we're going to see these little steps into exile they take. For example, in Genesis 3, with Adam and Eve, remember they were living in the garden and they were given that command to trust and obey. They ate the fruit and then guess what? They were exiled from Eden forever. We all were. Well, this week in chapter four, Cain is uh, living outside of Eden. Who Cain is one of the descendants of Adam and Eve. They right, he's their yet. firstborn son and he's living outside Eden with his parents and he's given a command and he's going to break it and he's going to be it's going to be he's going to be exiled further east and out of God's presence now so apparently this is kind of cool i never thought about this before when adam and eve were exiled for the from the garden it kind of implies they still could like talk to god a little bit and and well they can can't they can't we well we have the holy spirit so that's a whole different thing now in genesis 11 we're going to hear about this exile again but we're going to be studying the first people so this is kind of like the first nations of people. It's pre-Babylon. And they were, they're given a command to be faithful to God. And instead, they built the Tower of Babel to be like God. And so then, again, they're exiled. They're dispersed. And from them, God chooses Abraham to become another nation. Now, if we jump to Exodus, they, we have the Israelites, Abraham's uh, descendants. And they are released from captivity in Egypt. That's where they're living. And they're given a command to be faithful after God releases them and they worship other gods and they wander in exile in the desert. They don't get to go to that promised land. Then you have the Israelites. They make it to the promised land. Finally, they're told again to be faithful. They disobey and worship other gods and they're exiled back to Babylon where Abraham started. Okay. And if you're very lost right now, just know this is a book club. (laughs) So this is foreshadowing. Susan is getting way ahead of us. Getting way ahead of us because I want us to understand this theme throughout the Bible of exile and alienation because God is trying to tell us something. Exile became a human condition. This feeling of alienation and longing for something more no matter where we live. 
You may have a great home right now, but you live in this broken world. You're living in a way that God didn't design you for. God designed us to live in paradise and we're not. We are really aliens. There's beauty and life here, but there's also pain and death. So there's God, but there's also this adversary trying to pull us back into chaos. So we are aliens longing for our eternal home, that place where all is beautiful and orderly, that place where we can once again walk with God. The New Testament talks about aliens and citizens. And if you hear this in church, I want you to understand that they are explaining in the New Testament, the apostles talk about this, that we are living today as aliens. And Jesus provides the way, the hope, and the opportunity out of exile and alienation from God. And that is through Christ. In Hebrews, this is explained the first time, Paul explains how the heroes of the Old Testament had to live in exile. So in Hebrews 11, Paul commends, it's it's long, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. He commends them all for living by faith. Then at the end, he says this, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were hoping for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and gl- and glorify God on the day he visits us. And I think that what Susan just did there reading to you from Hebrews 11 and, and Peter 2 illustrates the reason that we're studying what we're studying, that we study the history. Totally. Because you have to know what that history is because if not, you will miss the points that are being made when you read the New Testament. We're in the very beginning of Adam Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first Israelites being exiled and learning this yearning for the perfect world that was to come and the way to that, that that communion with God, that eternal life. Yeah. So that's all a setup. And we're going to read that in Genesis mm-hmm. four. But just to recap in the fall in Genesis three, we've been living as aliens, like Susan just said, from the garden, from the perfect world that God created. But God provided that way through Jesus back to the world. So there is still hope. It, it's not all doom and gloom. It's right. not we're making God sound like he's going to exile everyone. And that's not the case. He has a plan and it is a good, perfect And plan. that's why we don't live for today here on this earth. We have to be looking forward to our eternal heavenly home. The second reoccurring theme that we begin to see in this chapter today is sacrifice. And there are sacrifice for different reasons. There are different times of sacrifice. We will get into all those things as we work our way through the greater book, the Bible. But there today, I want to talk about the sacrifice for worship and for atonement of sin. And that's what God is again setting us up that Jesus is going to be that perfect sacrifice that we need. And we are going to read a lot about that in Genesis. 
Worship was to show God love and honor. Today, Cain's offering appears to be a sacrifice of worship. So just know that. And it's we're going to go into that. I'm not going to give any more about it. There's also worship for atonement, which was necessary because sin had now entered the world. We're not going to cover that one today. But know this, when you do have sin um, for atonement, there's two things that it must cover. The injustice to fellow humans. So let's say, you know, you steal something from someone or you murder someone. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't rectify that if you murder them. But also the disobedience to God, because whatever you did was breaking one of God's commands. So the Old Testament sacrifices for atonement through the shedding of blood of animals were intended to prepare us for the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, like I said. All right. That's the two things just I want you to be thinking about as we start marching through Genesis. Back to our story. This week in chapter four, God is again going to give us serious insight into how we travel down this path of good and evil. This time through Cain, the first child born in the world. Why again? I often wonder why do we, it's it's exact, almost exact same pattern. Why did we need this back to back? I think God knew from the beginning we just weren't going to get it. We're dense. We're dense. (laughs) We're dense. But we have to understand why we do what we do when we know we shouldn't do it. And so, you know, pay attention to Cain, pay attention to Adam and Eve. Every child ever. (laughs) Any mom will tell you. Yeah. We don't know why they do it. Well, when we left Adam and Eve, they had just been banished from the garden, but were given the promise of children, family, and a future victory over the adversary that would eventually come from one of their children, the seed, or as we know, Jesus. So they begin to fill God's command to be fruitful and multiply right here in the beginning. Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. I just love how Eve just humbly gives credit to God for helping her bring forth this child because it's probably pretty scary. It was the first time and we know it was painful because of the sin. But totally. I I was scared my first time. And yet I knew millions of stories of people having kids and I was in a hospital surrounded by lots of help. I can't imagine what Eve was, you know, thinking like, what is going on here? How is this happening? And I bawled after I had my first child. I bawled after every single one. It's just such a miracle. So I, I do love how she kind of, you know, says with the help of the Lord, because you can't do that kind of thing on your own. These two short verses say a lot of things. And it kind of lays out a picture of this first family. Uh, We already have the division of labor. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil, which we're setting up for industries in the very beginning. And we're about to read. It also sets up the comparison of right and wrong. Two kids, same parents. (laughs) Abel kept flocks. Cain was the soil. Exactly. We're showing the extremes. Exactly. The path to good or evil starts right here again. And please know we have this printable. We talked about it last week in the show notes. You can go look at it again because we're going down the same path. It is a literal path. Correct. And it will visually show you how this works. Our second set of humans, like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, are about to make choices. 
verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Right and wrong is not always what you do, but the attitude of your heart when you do it. And and I, I'll be honest, I've read this way in the past and didn't really get like, well, that wasn't very fair. Why was he not? But there's a subtle, subtle difference. Cain brought some of the fruits. Abel brought the fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. And and it doesn't sound like anything to us, but the firstborn is to be set aside. It's showing that you're giving to God first. He brought the fat portions, which we try to stay away from fat today, but no, back then, we, we know that then. <laughs> back then, you know, they were struggling to see, keep calories on. And so the fat portions were revered. And of course, that's where all the flavor comes from. But it's really just the basic is, are you giving God your best or are you giving him the leftover? Exactly. Are you holding back the best for yourself? So in an analysis of the heart here, you know, we have two different guys who have the opportunity to bring first fruits from two different things. One is crops, one is animals. It's not saying that animals were better than crops. It's what they brought from that because the choice was in the offering. Abel's was firstborn, Cain's just some of the fruit. The heart attitude there is Abel really cared and was worshiping God in this sacrifice. He was putting God first. Cain was sinning. He didn't really care and he was just getting it done. And he was the first one to bring the offering too. He brought the offering first, but yet it wasn't the best. No. And so of course, in God's eyes, Abel found favor and Cain did not. This was the first choice on this path and their choice reflected their heart. Um, Are you giving because you truly want to? Are you giving because you have to, but don't want to? Abel gave out of love and worship because he wanted to. Cain gave because he had to. And then he got called out for it. And this is why it says God loves a cheerful giver. It says that in Malachi. But here we are in verse five and it says, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. All right, let's draw a parallel here with the last chapter, Adam and Eve. Eve was tempted because she was envious of God's knowledge. Remember the serpent said, oh no, you're going to know what God knows. Cain was envious of Abel here. He got angry because he was called out. Note this, the adversary, here's another, not a parallel, a difference here. The adversary is not visibly present. So in, in Eve and Adam's, the serpent was visibly present. She was talking to somebody she shouldn't have been. After the fall, the only time we get to actually witness the adversary speak is here in Genesis 3 and in the temptation of Christ, which is documented in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, and in Job 1 and 2, where God and and Job have a conversation, God and the adversary have a conversation about how he's going to tempt Job. I found this chart. I'm not going to refer to it, but I did think it was funny. It analyzed these verses from these three different examples and charted them out. There's 320 words that Satan actually says. Mm. 54% of those 320 words or 173 of them were lies. That's just his MO. That's his MO. We know that. He takes the truth. He mixes in that truth. So that you're confused enough. 46% was truth. He mixes in enough of the truth just to confuse us. I want to see that chart. You don't have to. I want you to go into that chart, Susan. <laughs> I'll pull it up again. I didn't, you know, it wasn't from a, a source I knew of, but I did think it was really interesting. Uh, the warning to us is this. 
How is the adversary working today to tempt us if he doesn't directly speak and with what stuff that isn't true? And that just got me reeling because I started thinking of all the, you know, just things I read for fun or listen to for fun and how, how is the adversary mixing messages in there that confuse me or water down the truth for me or help me rationalize. It's hard today because we get so much information from all kinds of sources. Well, and that's one of the major, this will not to get political, but there's a big problem right now in our society with mistrust of both our our politicians and of the media. People aren't sure what to believe because there's so much mistruth out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then I started thinking, okay, the adversary is probably in so much of it. Just even the divisiveness of it is just confusing us. Yeah. He's using it. So we have to make sure that we are at all times pointing towards what does the truth of God's word say? And that's why you have to read it. And that's why you have to know it. Exactly. All right. We're about, we're about to hit choice number two here. Cain's second choice in this is to either accept that the results from his gift was not what he wanted because God was not pleased and repent and ask for forgiveness. Or he can let the shame and humiliation of it make him angry. And we know he got angry. Verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. All right. If we're on the path, here is that pop-up warning sign. Just like Eve got, uh, and and the questions, you know, remember when God chased them in the garden and said, why are you hiding? He knew why they were hiding. Where are you? He was giving them that opportunity to say, oh man, my bad. <laughs> I'm right yeah. here. He knows why he's angry. He, he knows is, he has a heart problem. Exactly. He is giving Cain an opportunity to make the right choice here. And if you if you pull up that um, printable that we have, you'll see the path can end right here. You can get off the wrong path and say, oh gosh, I'm sorry, you're right. And, and turn back to the Bible, the word of God and get on the right path. Unfortunately, Cain chooses sin rather than repentance. The importance of the choices is escalating. Everyone is just getting more important. Do what is right, repent, leave this path, or give in to that sin that desires to have you. And don't, can't you just picture from this last sentence? you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. And I just, that just gives me the creepiest picture. I memorized that that one a long time ago, because if you, if you're paused on the brink of a choice and you picture that, that the adversary is literally waiting for you with bated breath. When we first did our study, this was one of our verses of the week. Susan used to give us verses of the week to remember for the next week. I literally still have this verse on my desk at work because I just, it reminds me that there I am on the path and do I have the choice and which one do I choose? And you just need something to constantly bring you back to the word of God. Exactly. Maybe we'll put some printables on there so that they can have some desk printing. Exactly. Yeah. We probably should. Giving Haley another task. Task. (laughs) She's rolling her eyes. All right, verse eight. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Little premeditation there on his part. (laughs) While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said 
to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? All right, this path is getting dark. Very dark. And that's the point in the printable. murder. Yeah, that's the point in the printable. I told you that this book had treachery, Treachery, I know. All kinds of... Remember, on the path, if you make a wrong choice, you get another and another. The enemy's not going to leave you alone. If you make a wrong choice, he's going to be after you even, you know, more desperately because he's going to say, I have got them going. I'm going to keep them going. Slippery slope. All right. So let's just analyze it for a sec because here is Cain's dark, dark progression. Choice. He sins, gives God this lame offering. Choice number two, he gets jealous of Abel for pleasing God. He doesn't like being compared to his brother. Choice number three, he sins. He blames Abel rather than himself. Choice number four, sin, indulgence. This is just injustice. It's not fair. He indulges in these feelings of anger and self-pity. Then next choice, sin. He wants revenge. Ultimate sin, he mur- then murders. Then he sins, he lies. He's, he, yeah, he actually says to God, I don't know where he is. Really? Really? Do you think God can't see you? God knew. <laughs> yeah. God knew. He knows where his brother is. That's just super defiant. Then, last sin, he denies responsibility and he has a lack of repentance. He just digs his heels in and he doesn't care. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Am I? Like, what do you think? Who do you think I am? It's not my day to watch him. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's the slippery slope, though. It's the slippery slope that if you engage with the devil, just like what Susan said, don't engage, run, flee, because the minute you do, he'll keep getting you deeper and deeper and deeper and you'll be in worse. And this is exactly what we were talking about. This book has treachery. It has intrigue. It has murder. It has all everything in every good book in in the novel. It's in here. It's all in here. All right. Verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Here is Cain's judgment. And it's a it's a lit, it's a progression from Adam's. This is the first death and the first realization of the curse on Adam. And that curse was from dust you you were formed and from dust you would return. And here you have the first man returning to dust. Well, and also that it would be hard for him that he would have to mm-hmm. toil on the land. So Cain's curse also paralyzed in that what you just said. Adam was told he would have to work the ground. Now the ground is not going to produce at all for Cain. He's going to have to be a wanderer. And we kind of have this first impression of the first, you know, kind of nomad. Which really is what the Israelites ended up being for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. He's still whining. (laughs) Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. And Nod means flight and banishment. East of Eden. All right, east again. He's moving east. Note, Cain must wander to survive. He's banished not just physically, but also relationally and spiritually because he denied responsibility for his brother. And now he is literally driven from family and God. So see, God does temper the consequence. He does. So he's worried that he will die. And God still says, no, I'm not 
not going to let anybody kill you, but you do have to suffer a consequence for not repenting. God does protect, protect and provide in his new environment. God covered Adam and Eve, protecting them from the harsher environment outside the garden. And God protects um, Cain by put from his harsher environment by putting a mark on his head. Note that movement east. This is where Cain parallels Adam. He sins, there's judgment, there's banishment, and then this eastward movement. First started in 324. Now we have it here. East becomes associated with departure from God. We're going to see it again in Genesis 4, 16, 11, 2, and 25, 6. And this is just another one of those examples where those who do not study history are bound to repeat it and they do they repeat it over and over, over and again. over they you you they have to learn from the mistakes of the past and they don't yep all right verse 17 Cain made love to his wife I'm not sure where she came from I, I I will be honest this puzzles me maybe it's hundreds of years later maybe she's another daughter of Eve's I have no idea but just well, he, but he got a wife I from somewhere yeah let's not even start no don't go there that. and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch Cain was then building a city okay this is a this is a little act of disobedience to me because he was supposed to be a wanderer. Oh, and he built a city. Yeah. Yes. So he's like, look, you said how you wanted me to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. way. He's so still living that way. There's got to be another consequence for that. And he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehijel. And Mehajel was the father of Methuselah. Oh my goodness. I know. The next one's easier. And Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Oh, All yes, right. We, we are into the Cain's descendants now. So now we're in a, a, a bit of a, you know, um, what do you call it? The lineage. I um, apologize to any of the Hebrew yeah, the trained people who know that I butchered those names. But no, we're in the bad boys. These are Cain's descendants. They're the bad boys. Keep going. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zilha. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zilha also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain was avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. I could have parked here for a week. There's a lot in that, but I just want to point out a couple things. First, this is the first polygamist violation. And in Genesis 2.22, Adam gets one wife. It's, this is reiterated in the New Testament in Mark 10, 6 through 8. One wife. He's he's off to a bad start. Cain also, interestingly enough, is kind of a creative, has some creative descendants. They build, they forge, they create. However, they're very focused on the power and glory of man versus God. And then it's so bad that murderous tendency and the sin of the fathers visit the children that he's actually boasting about killing one of his sons or grandsons. And he shows no fear of God. Cain was unrepentant. Lamech is outright defiant. So it's a building. They're not learning from the history of Cain. No, they're not. There's no turning in this group of bad boys. Now let's talk about the righteous replacement for Abel. So verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth 
also had a son, and he named him Enosh. Eve recognizes, I don't know how, that God as God as her ultimate source of the offspring by naming him Seth has given. And Enosh means humanity like Adam, and it is from this line that we get our new beginning in the lineage for Christ. Continuing on in the verse, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the beginning of worship we have here. And it's interesting they call on the name of the Lord, even though it mentioned in the previous verse that some of Cain's descendants were using stringed instruments and pipes, and yet it is not his descendants that are starting worship. It is Seth's descendants that are starting to worship. No, they were they were doing it for entertainment. They were Netflixing it. Glorifying themselves <laughs> instead of glorifying God. They were just having a good Which time. Which is why the devil got kicked out of heaven, and we'll talk exactly. about that Exactly. So as a recap, we have an opportunity before us. We have new paths and choices every single day. Just like they did. The New Testament warn as a warning for us, courtesy of Cain. In John 3.12, it says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Jealousy. Jealousy. The attitude of your heart will dictate your actions. And I have to believe that since God put back to back chapters three and four about this path that we go down and it escalated in chapter four, that he wants us to know what's going on and pay attention and not go down that path. Yeah. In life, you have relationships and you need to do a heart check and you need to do it often and you need to make sure that your heart is in the right place. And if it's not, just take a different path. There's a fork in the road. There's a fork in the road. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.